The following interview was recorded at the Northeast GNU Linux Fest with Matt Lee and Donald Robertson of the Free Software Foundation. At their request, this episode is being released by Hacker Public Radio under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 unported license, which means that it can be used for commercial purposes. Enjoy this interview presented by Hacker Public Radio. Hello, HPR. This is Pokey. I'm here at the Northeast GNU Linux Fest with Matt Lee and Donald Robinson, Rob Bertson of the Free Software Foundation. And uh, are you guys are both with the Free Software Foundation? Yeah, correct? Yep. that's correct. Okay. And um, so tell us a little bit about Free Software Foundation. What, what do you guys do for all of us? We were started uh, 25 years ago now, back in 1985, to protect computer user freedom. And so the first 10 years or so of the FSF existence, we mostly wrote free software. We wrote the GNU operating system, we formed the GNU GPL, and we wrote a lot of free software. And then in the sort of early to mid-90s, we noticed that actually a lot of people were doing this for us now and we could uh, kind of refocus our efforts on advocacy work and trying to promote free software to the wider world. And so for the last now, what, 16 years or so, we've uh, been doing that primarily with Richard Stallman, our founder and president, uh, traveling the world, always on a plane somewhere, giving a talk about free software to uh, anyone who listen. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what we do these days. Cool, cool. Now, Richard gets a bad rap sometimes, so he's a hero of mine. So. He's a hero of us, too, yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, he really is. Um, and, uh, you know, the GNU-Linux thing, a lot of people blow it off as if it doesn't mean much. Right. Um, but I personally hear a lot of people, like recently, people will rant about Android. Right. And they'll say, this is Linux. Why doesn't it work the way I want it to work? Right. That's, that's, that's a really good point. It's, so, it's because it's not GNU. <laughs> so um, I know, a friend of mine talked about this today in Boston. We're talking about this. Uh, when Firefox 4 launched last week, uh, you go to the Firefox website, and uh, you can download Firefox for, for Windows, uh, for Mac, and for what they call Linux. And you know, he's like, does this version of Firefox work on my set-top box? No. Does it work on my Android phone? No. Does it work on many other devices that I have that run Linux? No. What it runs on is my desktop computer or my laptop computer running what we call GNU plus Linux, GNU slash Linux. Yep. And so while there's a distinction to be made, I think GNU slash Linux is a really good kind of beacon for free software on the desktop, free software for users. Uh, you don't really use the free software when you're having a set-top box. Primarily, that's proprietary software built on top of a Linux kernel. Right. Uh, with Android, you're not really interacting with GNU software or with Linux. You're using Dalvik and using Android and the, the, the system there. And so, yeah, GNU Linux, GNU slash Linux is a great uh, you know, banner piece for, for free software. So. 
Cool. Uh, and how long have you been with FSF? I've been with FSF now for about three years as an employee, and then prior to that, about eight or nine years as a volunteer. Eight so, or nine years? Time. You look like a young fella, so... <laughs> um, well, still young, uh, 29, almost 30, but yeah, hang on to that youth Yeah. for a couple more weeks, <laughs> yeah. um, and then I'll become an old man and retire. But uh, no, yeah, so yeah, 15, probably about 15 years of using free software and about 11 years of being involved with the FSF in some, some manner. Wow, excellent. Yeah. So, so back in the mid-90s. Back in the mid-90s, yeah. You were doing, so what kind of stuff were you doing in the mid-90s as a teenager uh, with free yeah. software? Uh, spotty kid with free software. Uh, discovering free software like many people. But um, I lived in rural England, didn't have an internet connection. So I would get these, these cover-mounted CD-ROMs on the, on the there were CD-ROMs back in the day, uh, on the front of magazines. Uh, Red Hat 4, Red Hat 5. Slackware discs, uh, OpenSUSE, or I guess just SUSE at the time, yeah, uh, and then later Debian, and, and then you know, kind of got got used to free software, installing and it, but with no help. There's no body I knew in my right. life that used free software. And this is how you picked up chicks. <laughs> I know, uh, maybe not, but uh, but yeah, um, and so I started communicating with RMS when I finally got email, sort of chatting to Richard someone and asking all these questions I wanted to ask him about free software. I kind of yep. read this thing as a kid and was very interested in it. I was like, you know what is this and how does this work and he's very graciously replied to the emails of a 12, 13 year old kid and, yeah you know now, uh, at the time did you know this was Richard Stallman I mean were you like overwhelmed with meeting Richard Stallman well me- meeting through the email I guess not so much but um, yeah I did I did read the book uh, Hackers by Stephen Levy okay. around that time as well and the very last chapter of that book really is all about Richard it's Richard and his kind of struggle at MIT in the last days there and the AI lab and uh, his Sort of the, the 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 situation that arose to force him to kind of create GNU and the GPL and this, this community of, of sharing software, and so yeah, it was it was kind of cool, you know. Yeah. The kind of the uh, the superhero of the free software movement there. Yeah, so exactly. Kind of nice now, and it's kind of strange. Twenty five years after FSF created to kind of be here and be a part of it so much. Yeah. You know, but. Don't like to think about the past too much. Think about the future. Where right. are going to go next? So, how big now is the FSF? How many people are employed there? Uh, we have what? 11? Ten people. Ten people. Yeah, it's Ten so small. People. Plus Richard. Maybe. Ten people and Richard, who's a full-time volunteer. Richard doesn't get paid by us. Right, I've heard that. It's all volunteer work. And he, uh, is, he he travels on all contributed money. He doesn't take money to travel. Doesn't take money from us. Uh, people pay for his flights. People want to come have him come speak. So maybe a, a university or a company will fly him to a place and when he's out there then he'll he'll kind of arrange to give talks at, at smaller events like this one today here at Worcester State University and uh, you know bigger conferences uh, he makes it work yeah, he, he, he you know will try and maximize his time so if he's in a city or in an area he'll give two or three talks then move to the next city and give two or three more talks so Love talking. Nice. And for yourself, you do mostly talking and uh, I'm campaigns manager. So yeah, there is some talking, but most of it these days is more email and phone interviews than than physical interviews. Okay. But uh, it's nice to come out here to Worcester, not far from our office in Boston. So it's you know we can make it down here. It's a it's a cool event. Cool. Uh, Donald, what do you do over at FSF? So I'm the copyright administrator and also the operations manager. So primarily copyright administration, that's how we ensure that the GNU project uh, continues to be free and that uh, people aren't violating the GPL out there. Excellent. Uh, in order to do that, we need to be able to hold the copyright on a lot of the software, such as GCC, Emacs. Yep. So we get contracts from companies and individuals who want to contribute to those projects, uh, signing the copyright over to us so that we're in the best position to ensure uh, software freedom going forward. So, 
do, do companies approach you then, or do you approach them? They approach us actually, yeah, because they every, a lot of people want to be involved in the game project. They want to give the code back that they've uh, developed in house, or that they just want to jump in and be working with upstream guys. And so they will contact me and say that we want to do assignment. Uh, most of the time, it's it's pretty simple stuff. We just send them a form and they fill it out. Sometimes we gotta haggle a little bit with some of them about uh, what the terms of the, the assignment will be. But in general, it's uh, pretty simple stuff. So, do you guys have the um, agreement that you, you uh, will never take that code uh, proprietary? That and closed? is correct. In every single one of our contracts, we have a promise that the code will always be under free, uh, freely redistributable. Uh, that any distribution that we make will be under a copyrighted uh, license of some sort. Um, that is correct. That's very important. When you say copyleft, is it specified somewhere in writing and provable that this yeah. is that what you mean by copyleft is the four freedoms? Yes, yes. So in our general assignment contract, it says that it's going to be under terms that perpetually allow uh, anyone who receives the, co the software to redistribute it, uh, modify it, use it, study it. Uh, we do have some uh, assignments where we actually specify that we're always going to release this code under GPL v3 or later or something like that. But generally, it's it's saying it's going to be under uh, something under uh, that matches the free software definition. Okay. Now, a lot of times when I hear someone say uh, GPL v3 or later, um, I think of Bradley Kuhn talking about <laughs> the uh, Cylons owned by Microsoft scenario. <laughs> but I've never had that explained to me. I don't understand what that means. So essentially all it is is that if you license something under GPL v2 or later or GPL v3 or later, what it means is that uh, if we come out with a, a later version of the license, then people have the option to use the software under that later version. They can still use it under the initial version. So if something's released GPL v2 or later, people who take that can choose to redistribute it under GPL v3 or later, or they can redistribute it under GPL v2 or later. Okay. It's up to them. It's just a simple way to make licensing, uh, you know, relicensing a little bit easier. So if Cylons from Microsoft came and took over FSF and released GPL v7 <laughs> and it was completely proprietary, what that means is we're protected in that the code is still released under GPL v3. Yep, we can still release it under GPL v3. It's, it's at your option. Yeah, it's at your option. Okay. It's not a forced upgrade. So. Okay, so, but it doesn't... It doesn't uh, guarantee that future versions of the license won't be um, poisoned statement somehow, doesn't will do it? That, but that, that's a separate thing from copyright assignment. So. Okay. And so the copyright assignment, when we have our promise back, that is also on, that is a contractual obligation that's also on our, if we ever were to assign or become controlled by someone in the future. Yes. So everything that's assigned to us, even if silence were to take over, they're contractually bound to ensure that it's under a free license forever. Okay. So that can't be changed, even if even if Microsoft were somehow to be able to buy everything. And how is the definition of a free license protected? Is, is there anything in place for that? Well, so it, the our contracts actually they don't reference the free thing. They actually define what we mean in the contract itself. So the language I can't remember off the top of my head, but it says that it's going to be perpetually under terms that will allow people to freely distribute it and do this. It doesn't make reference to the definition, so they can't okay. just change the definition or something like that. Okay. Right. Um, and we've got very uh, smart people at the Software Freedom Law Center. Yeah, no uh, doubt. Let's uh, craft everything to make sure that, you know, anything that's ever contributed to the new project is going to be free forever. Uh, yeah. Period. Okay. So, um, what are some of you guys' uh, most recent initiatives? Anything new that we should know about? 
we've been working for a while now with this campaign we have called Effective by Design. And Effective by Design, uh, maybe people will remember it as uh, us in these bright yellow uh, hazmat suits, hazmat material suits, going into Apple stores and handing out flyers and protesting outside Apple stores. Um, now, a lot of people f- in our community found that very offensive. Really? Yeah, I hear. I've, I, I don't know the first thing about it, okay. but I have heard people say that um, a lot of the things that the FSF does doesn't put our best uh, face forward. Okay. I, I guess I would answer that by saying, you know, the FSF has a mission to ensure user freedom, software freedom. Okay. And so sometimes we have to do things which are not the most popular uh, for, for, you know, publicity, for, for the organization, for the community in general, but the things that we genuinely believe are required to uh, ensure that going forward. So... With Fed by Design, we're, we're not really talking about free software. We're talking about DRM, and we see you're talking about DRM, talking about what we call digital restrictions management, not yes. digital rights management. And that's an important distinction to make. If you if you kind of cast it in in our language and not in the language of the community that or the companies that want to make you believe DRM is a good thing, right? Um, you well, see it in a different light. Well, let me. Okay, so so let me ask you this. Sure. Um, Personally, I've I've given the digital rights management, digital restrictions management uh, phraseology a little bit of thought, mm-hmm. um, and to me, I think it would be simpler to say to someone that it is digital rights management, but it's someone else managing your rights against your will, okay, um, or or not in your best interest. I think the difference there is when when you use a term like digital restrictions management, it's a term that jars a little bit, and it causes people to think, well, you know, okay. That's not a term I've heard before. I've heard a similar term. Why the different term? I think by using a different term, we force the conversation into our, you know, point of view, and not just by, you know, kind of trying to redefine existing terms. Okay, and if you'll allow me to play devil's sure. advocate here, uh, I, th- I think the the uh, feeling that I've caught from other people I've heard uh, opine on this is that you're talking to people who have never heard either term before. Right. So it's a really good experience to, if they're going to hear that term, and they're going to hear it more and more, to get them quickly with the term that we believe to be the correct, you know, the correct phrasing of that of that experience. And doesn't that um, risk the disassociation of the terms later? I mean, if you're talking to someone who, who doesn't really know and doesn't really care, I think they may I not think, think it's the same thing? That, that may have been true to begin with, but now we, you see more and more things that are being marketed as being DRM-free or yes. you know, things that are DRM-light. And so when you see... Uh, I, I remember seeing... I heard that one, yeah, DRM-light. I saw, uh, I saw a, a, a commercial <laughs> Those are zip ties for handcuffs, not, not metal yeah, ones, right? Right, right. <laughs> I saw this uh, poster on the side of a train station for, for a new album for a, a band I never heard of. And it was just like, you know, like, this this album's coming out. And then, like, a good 30% of the commercial, the poster, was just DRM-free. Or, like, now it's DRM-free. And it's like... Okay. That's strange to see an artist that I've never heard of, probably a new artist, pushing the, D- the anti-DRM angle in their own marketing. And this is IRL. This is up on a wall this somewhere. This is a wall in, in Manchester in England. This is on the side of a train station. DRM-free as an artist. And that's cool, right? That's me suggests that you know we're not the only ones here who are against DRM. Artists more and more are against DRM. It's very encouraging. And I think with music, primarily at this point, the DRM argument is, is lost. Um, Amazon and uh, then later Apple have, you know, they have DRM free music stores now. Can't buy DRM music. 
from these people. I, what, thought, what, I thought you could from Apple still. Not anymore. What you can oh, really? buy from Apple now is DRM videos, and okay. DRM applications, okay. and DRM ringtones, and DRM everything else. But you can't buy DRM music from them anymore, which is, in some way, I guess, perhaps reassuring. Okay, but if you own their DRM music, you can what upgrade oh, to can upgrade DRM free for, thir- for thirty cents. Thirty cents yeah. per song. Per song. <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay. So that that helps to, helps you to get out of some of that vendor lock-in. Right. That's there. I mean, and that's something that uh, I've got kids. I try to tell my kids all the time about this vendor lock-in thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and they don't. They're just young. My oldest sure. is 11, so they don't really care because it's, it's my money still. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the more, that they, the more and more that they spend their own money, you know, from Christmas, they begin to understand, I can't take this thing that I own over here right. and use it the way I want to use right. it. And primarily it's because you don't own it. Right. You own a license to it, and that license can say whatever they want. And the licenses on music digitally are far more restrictive than the licenses you get on a CD. So how do you present that very important fact to someone who's never thought of this before, never given this issue any thought whatsoever. So we've done that in the past by by having like real world protests. What we tend to do nowadays more with Defected by Design is we still have a mailing list of 35 plus thousand people and each month we try and present a new single DRM action. These people can take that's, that's a simple thing. Uh, last month we did an action against Sony. Uh, Sony, if you don't know about this, the, uh, the PlayStation 3 um, has been uh, jailbroken, I suppose, for want of a better term. And uh, the, the the developers who figured this out are now being threatened and, and in some cases having their houses uh, like bust into by teams of police. Uh, computers confiscated because they figured out how to bypass a restriction in Sony's hardware on equipment that they personally own. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's very important. That's something that people... Uh I think may not be seeing in this issue is that these people bought the hardware. They own the hardware. Mm -hmm. Uh, And no one in any court of law anywhere would argue that they don't own the hardware. Yet they don't own the ones and zeros inside that hardware that are hard locked to it. They can't be separated. I think it's it's a pretty dire situation for our society when private companies can be, you know, ordering court orders to have individuals harassed by the police for... You know, potentially owning pieces of hardware or doing things with hardware they've purchased that the companies just don't like. Well, uh, it, as a political guy, I just want to say, counter that point, but but also to it, um, it's usually not private companies. These are public companies. That's where the problem lies, I think, is these public companies who just do these very egregious things for the almighty dollar or pound or yen or whatever, whatever the case doing. may be, yeah. and they justify it by saying that if they didn't take these actions and it cost the company money, the share owners would come after them personally and, and be looking for their jobs. And that's pretty much true. And I think that's a big problem in our society right now because you don't generally see privately held companies doing things like that, do you? I mean, you guys are on the legal side of it. You, I guess you're the best to ask. I'm not aware if, if Sony Entertainment, Sony Computer Entertainment is a private or a public traded company. And Apple certainly is a public traded company. They've done this before with the, uh, with the iPhone 4. But... Um, with Sony, I'm not sure. I mean, Sony has so many different subsidiaries and companies and things. It'd be interesting to see who's doing this exactly here. But the same kind, of, the same point, I guess. I would argue that you know they should be talking to their shareholders and saying, "Well, you're looking at we're selling essentially computers here to people." Yeah. It's it's, it's, a, it's a pretty uh, damning situation if you know, your Sony Vio computer is a computer, no more than your Sony PlayStation Three is a computer. Correct. 
I don't see them going going to come after you for the for the VIO if you install free software on your VIO. Right. They're not going to come after you. But yeah, if you do, even if I flash the software, BIOS on that. Right. If you install free software on your PlayStation Three, and let's not forget, the PlayStation Three was initially sold as being a computer that could also run GNU Linux. You know, they took yeah. that feature away eventually. Yeah, that was pretty disgusting. But it was sold as a general purpose computer. These people are doing nothing more with their computers than we do with our computers every single day, and we install free software on them. So what are they claiming is the legal difference between the two? Between a, between a, a, a PlayStation that you cannot alter the firmware on... I'm not sure about the legal distinction, but I think they, they try to make a distinction to the consumer. They say, yeah, Apple does this too. They say, the iPad is not a computer, it's a, it's a device. And if it was a computer, then you know, you'd be able to install software you want from wherever you like. But because it's a device, we're going to treat you in a different way and you know, force you to install software through the App Store, agree to these conditions, and actually prohibit free software on these devices too. Now, in the conditions that you're agreeing to, they typically come to you on like a shrink wrap license. You break the shrink wrap, you've agreed to the license by There's default. No, there are no more shrink wraps. This is, this is digital <laughs> software downloading with a click of a mouse. Right. Oh, well, with the PlayStation. I mean, there's shrink wrap on the box, but I mean, sure. the, the, it, you know, the analogy is, is sure. basically right, what I'm right, going right. for. Um, but yeah, it's, it's these licenses that you're required to agree to, mm-hmm. uh, these EULAs, right. that are also, I think, a big part of the problem. And that's the part that really shackles people, is these EULAs. Um, are, are you guys doing anything about those, or have you given them any thought? In what regard? Uh, fighting EULAs. Fighting EULAs? Yeah. Well, I think generally our recommendation for people is to use free software licenses for everything that they use. Uh, I, mean, I, think, I think that's our general campaign, yeah. is to get people to stop having these EULAs, these licenses that take away freedoms, instead of giving freedoms to people. Okay. If okay, you want so a license not, for your software, put the GPL on your software. Yeah. That's a great license. Okay. You know. So you're not then opposed to EULAs, you're just opposed to their terms and conditions. We're opposed to EULAs in the sense that EULAs are generally user, um, you know, in, you know they're, not, they're, not, they're attacking the user, they're not for the benefit of the general public. Okay. So, yeah, we're against, we're against EULAs, uh, and then since we have our own license, similar to an end-user license agreement, I guess, if you want yeah. to call it that, but the GPL is a license. Yes. You can apply the GPL instead of applying a EULA, and uh, you'll find that you are not incurring the wrath of the FSF if you are using the GPL for software. So. Right. Should I be asking you guys any other questions that I'm just not smart enough to come I, one, up with on my thing, own? One thing I would like to talk about a little bit is this thing called the JavaScript trap, which is a new thing we've, we've kind of been talking about a little bit this week. And okay, the JavaScript trap really is... Um, people are generally unaware of this, but when you, when you visit a website like Gmail, for example, yes. um, you're actually downloading and running... Uh, a few hundred K to sometimes to half a megabyte or more of, of proprietary JavaScript okay. that exists on Google servers is downloaded onto your computer and then run inside your computer. Okay, so, and, and so for someone who doesn't know what JavaScript is, this is pretty obvious in that any website that you can talk to and talk back to without reloading the page right. generally is using JavaScript. Lots of modern websites. If you use Gmail, if you use uh, Google Docs, if you use Twitter, if you use Facebook, all of these websites, they use JavaScript to do some fancy stuff like okay. you, type, you type into a into your email you start typing someone's name it brings up a little pop down of, of, of someone's name yep a suggestion that JavaScript yep. right that, that's, that's using code running on your computer to send requests to a server and asking them to send you the names of people and that code is almost always proprietary software that's software that does not give you the four basic freedoms to you know to, to use the software for any purpose to uh, modify the software and to distribute copies of that software in free and in, uh, in, in modified and unmodified terms. 
And so what we're asking people to do is to uh, avoid the JavaScript trap and to actually actively block these non-free JavaScript files from entering their computer. With a plug-in like NoScript for Firefox? plug-in like NoScript for Firefox, and to actually encourage these companies like Google to take this uh, user-facing code, this code that comes onto my computer, and to release it under a free software license. So which license would be applicable to their code running on your computer? Uh, it could be the GPL. It could be you know, any of these GNU licenses, any free software license, really. Okay, so the AGPL wouldn't apply to this, correct? Because it's uh, not the running AGPL on their The AGPL would give you no more benefit than the, the GPL would in this, in this instance. Okay. But and now the difference between the AGPL and the GPL is where the code is running, correct? The, the actual processor it's, it's ticking over on? It's, it's when... So the AGPL is for the instance where you've got a user interacting with the code via network service. Yep. So the code would be on Google's end, and the user would be interacting with the code via the network service. So in the instance with the JavaScript trap, you download the software onto your computer, so you're not communicating it via network. So the AGPL is not going to give you any more, uh, anything extra over the GPL okay. in that situation. It's not going to give you anything less either. No. So I mean, the AGPL is a perfectly fine license to use, but it's not going to give you anything more than the GPL. Would I see. But okay. the other thing is, the benefit really is that there are there are things like GreaseMonkey, uh, which allow you to install little pieces of JavaScript into your web browser. Uh, often, GreaseMonkey scripts are under a free license. GreaseMonkey itself is free software. Okay. Um, you can modify how the JavaScript uh, on Gmail works. So there's a whole suite of free software that is already interacting with the JavaScript from Gmail, kind of modifying it on the fly, and then doing some cool, interesting things with it. And so, given that, given that people are already doing this, despite you know the the, the heavily um, obfuscated code that Google presents to you. They give it. They give you code that's, you know, garbled. It's it's hard to figure out what's going on. It's compressed. If they release that code under a free license and they release it in a way that's suitable for modification, so that the you know, it's not garbled, it's not compressed, it's easy to read, it's easy to understand. We believe not only will this practice of of uh, enhancements to Google continue, but it'll improve. And it'll also mean that everyone who uses Gmail is still using, in their browser, their, their browser is still using completely free software. There's no you know, ethical issue. They're not, they're not giving up control of their computer to Google. Now, there are other issues with Gmail. Gmail is, you know, it's still software running on somebody else's server. And so, in an ideal world, we want people to use free software to do that. We want people to run their own mail servers and to you know, use services that actively promote free software. And so this is the first step in a, in a series of you know, pieces we're doing. But Have Google or Facebook or any of these other companies that are serving up this JavaScript, have they been addressed uh, directly by the FSF? We've spoken to Google uh, about a previous project they have called the Google Art Project. And the Google Art Project uses non-free JavaScript, uh, non JavaScript code, but also uses Flash. And so... Um, there's, there's a couple of problems there for us. We don't yep. want to see these works of public art locked up in Flash. Yep. Flash, of course, is proprietary. Yep. And so we are interested in speaking to Google further about this. Um, Google right now is the only uh, service we've written about. We're going to be writing about future services in the, in the, in the future. Um, but yeah, Facebook, Twitter, sites like that. And there are, you know, for things like Twitter, there are services like StatusNet, Identica. Yep. Um, my own project, GNU Social, which are you know, free software projects that can be used instead of Twitter. Yep. You, know, you can use it, and the JavaScript there is free software. You have no worries about running free software JavaScript in your browser. It's under a license that allows you to study it and modify it and change it. Now, now have, have Google responded to that at all? 
they have not as yet. They're just kind of ignoring you for now. Google's a big company. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't want to express any malice towards Google on this. Fair enough. Uh, Google's a big company with a lot of different people, different projects managers. And, uh, yeah, I imagine that, you know, this is an issue that will be addressed. And I'm hopeful that they'll, they'll come soon. Okay. Um, have you worked on the other end? Have you spoken to any of the companies that um, you referred to earlier that, that are submitting code to FSF? Have you spoken to any of them about this same issue? Uh, the the projects that are using free, the free JavaScript project? Uh, no, earlier on you said that um, companies would assign code to the FSF uh, so uh, and put them under the GPL3. Um, right, that was done, yep. done, done uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so, so... Have you guys approached any of those companies um, as maybe a starting point for, for getting them to um, handle unobfuscated and so in terms free of, JavaScript? So uh, directing sort of our campaigns at our individual contributors, I don't believe that we currently do that. We give, we send them. They get into our general mailing list. Okay. But in terms of, you know, of, you know, sending a message to a company and saying specifically, all right, on this issue, would you guys come and, and do something on this? That's uh, possibly something we could we could work towards in the future. But we're talking about, you know, hundreds and hundreds of companies that are working in various spaces. Like most, you know, a lot of these companies are working on like GCC yep. or they're embedded designers, stuff right. like this, where they don't even have. But also, also, the, also the GPL, you know, encourages people to, right, it requires people to release software in the preferred form for modification. And yep. so the preferred form is not obfuscated, compressed code. It's code that has, you know, white space and comments and, and, and function yep. names that make sense. Yep. And so I think that if uh, going ahead, you know, like these companies are already doing that. They're already releasing free software in a, in a good way. Yep. Um, the few but projects that we have spoken to that are doing... Uh, free software that uses JavaScript. Um, they're definitely aware of our efforts in this area. I'm yep. going to be ramping up, uh, like I mentioned, you know, StatusNet Identica, things like that, you know, finding good alternatives to a lot of these uh, these platforms like Gmail and Facebook. It, ju it just seems to me like, um, you know, starting with your friends might yeah. be a, an easier place to start. Well, well, the thing, uh, Google is a contributor. They, we have uh, yeah. assignments for, yeah. uh, I believe, every GNU project. They uh, And so, you know, we're not saying that you know Google's not is. We're not saying that they're not our friend or anything. Right. Like that. Right. Uh, in this, we're just I didn't mean to imply that. I'm sorry yeah. if I did. <laughs> but another really important thing is we're looking looking at our mailing list. This mailing list that Don mentioned, this general mailing list we yep. have, and shockingly, I, I didn't think it would be as high as it was, but it's like 90% of our mailing list is at gmail.com or at <laughs> googlemail.com. Really. So if you're going to email a list of people and 90% of them are already using Gmail, yeah, that's a great place to start because yeah. I can guarantee you 90% <laughs> yeah. of the people not using Identica or StatusNet, maybe 20% of them are, and that's awesome. But really, you're talking about almost targeting every person on that list is using Gmail. So that's a great place to start. Um, that's, yeah, it's, that's it's, not it's, a bad it's point. It's a good target to take. How would, how, would, uh, how would I or any of our listeners get onto the general mailing list? You can go to fsf.org yep. and all over the website, on the homepage, on every page on the website, hopefully, <laughs> you should find a little box on the side of the screen that just says sign up, join the thing called the Free Software Supporter. Okay. It's a monthly email we send out to you. We send out occasional other emails, but generally you can expect one or two emails a month from us about important issues to free software, and we get a monthly, a monthly newsletter as well, which is also pretty interesting. And the newsletter and the mailing list, these are free as in beer as well, correct? Uh, they are. We don't charge to join our mailing list. That is a very important distinction. Um, but also, yeah, we, we publish this. Uh, you can join us and you can come and get an account on our website and get involved and edit our wiki. We have this wiki that has the, 
the JavaScript trap stuff we're working on. So if anyone out there is listening to this and there's a particular website that they, they really use that uses a lot of non-free JavaScript and they really want to like figure out how to make that work better with free software, yep. jump onto our website, fsf.org, follow the community link, and then you can go ahead and make an account and you can start editing stuff and start contributing to this body of knowledge about free software that we're trying to build. That's that's excellent. Now, I guess as you're describing that, you could, you're almost wanting to grit your teeth at, at fighting with these websites with JavaScript. So to any of the listeners, if you are really fighting with a website, this sounds like an excellent place to start Yeah, uh, with doing that. And so, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's probably about it for today. But um, I would encourage everyone who uh, is listening to go and check out our website, fsf.org. You can go visit the website about the GNU project. That's gnu.org. And uh, you can get our website, and if you are so inclined and so uh, interested by our work, you can also become a member, an associate member of the FSF. Give us a little bit of money each month to help us uh, continue to fight the uh, the dangers of proprietary software and hopefully do some good work. And, uh, you know, if, if you think 10 people working above a bank in downtown Boston is not <laughs> enough, then the more money you give us, the more people we can hire, and maybe get a bigger office, or, you know, two offices even, and, uh, and hire more people to do, to do this good work. You guys so, are all in one office now? All in one office above our Get bank. loud in there, all the clacky keyboards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very, very loud. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, come on. And if you're, also, people, if you're in Boston, you know, give us a shout. We're always looking to meet people who are in the area interested in free software. New Englanders, not that far away, really. We have a great public transit system in Boston. You can come visit us. And it's uh, right in downtown Boston. The Charlie card. Got to love it. <laughs> Use a Charlie card. You know. <laughs> Charlie on the MTA. Just make sure you cover your Charlie card in foil when you're not using it. Amen. So, RFID. Have you, have you tried that? Have you covered it in foil and, and run it by an RFID that you're in control of? Uh, yeah, we've seen that, yeah. Okay, yeah, and great. It's, 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 it's blocked. And it is blocked, and you're just using regular kitchen foil? Yep. Oh, excellent. Okay. I can't recommend a particular brand, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to ask that either, but Other kitchen cool. foils are available. Excellent. Donald, is there anything that uh, I should be asking you about on your end of things? Uh, well, we've got a lot of exciting new projects that are coming in that are becoming new projects that we're signing on. Obviously, uh, Matt Lee's been uh, pumping uh, GNU Social and GNU FM, which are uh, network services that replace some proprietary ones out there, um, like from Last FM or Facebook. Uh, a new one that's coming up uh, that maybe Matt can talk a little bit more about is uh, called Media Goblin, uh, and it's a new another network service that we're trying to... The GNU project traditionally has been you know, stuff for the desktop. We have a whole bevy of incredible tools that yep. make GNU Linux system uh, possible. But in, in terms of uh, creating the, you know, this sort of next generation of software that everybody uses and loves every day, we're getting into that now. And so it's a very exciting uh, future for the GNU project. Right so now. it sounds like you're trending more towards the, the social Indeed, part yes. of computing. We're, we're getting network. a lot more projects that are, are jumping on the, the bandwagon to get uh, GNU out there and uh, working yeah. on the social web. So this guy's a big one for, for putting it So together. we're pretty satisfied that you can sit down at a computer now and get work done, and now we're yeah. looking at the, yeah. the yeah. social exactly. side and the play yeah. side of it. Things are moving into the browser, and as they do that, you know, we need to make sure that we don't forget about the desktop, but at the same time, people are using more and more browser stuff, and uh, it's good to have alternatives uh, out there that, you know, that do good work that are free software. And you can take our software, like GNU FM, GNU Social, and GNU Media Goblin, which is coming out soon, and... Uh, Instead of using Facebook, or instead of using Last.fm, or instead of using Flickr, you can set these programs up on your own server, and in some cases you can go to a public version of these sites and uh, check it out there. Much in the same way there's StatusNet and Identica, there's, you know, there's GNU.fm, and there's Libra.fm, and GNU Social, and there's Daisy Chain, and there's Media Goblin, and we'll, what will it be? We don't know yet. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, Sounds very exciting. 
Great. Well, thank you guys very much for coming thanks by for our booth. Uh, Matt Lee, thanks so much. No worries. For having us here. Donald, thanks so much. This is uh, this is really great. I think uh, everybody on HBR is going to love it. I know uh, I enjoyed my talk with you guys and you know uh, having fun at the fest. It's just a small one, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's fun. There's a lot of good smiling people here. The small ones here. are the best ones, I think. Yeah. In a real sense, it's, it's, it's nice to go home having spoken to everybody. Yeah. Oh yeah. And know yeah. that you know at the end of this we're all going to go for a beer, and I'm going to get to chat to everybody. Excellent. <laughs> bigger conferences, you just can't do that anymore. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I will let you guys go now, but right. thank you I'm so much for your. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.